This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Morning, we want to turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And reading from verse 41. So Luke 2, verse 41 and following. And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished, at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, And was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. During the first 30 years of Jesus' earthly life, the Holy Spirit drew a veil over it. We know of his birth, of course. We know of his dedication eight days later in the temple. Uh, We know that when he was an infant, Herod uh, tried to murder him at Bethlehem with all the little boys. But really from his infancy until he was 30 to begin his ministry, nothing. (coughs) The Holy Spirit hid all of that except this one incident that we just read together there. Personally, I would love to have known more about his childhood. Uh, I would be curious about what kind of a boy he was and what sort of games he played, who he played with apart from his brothers and sisters, maybe his cousins and neighbors. I would like to know what his favorite food was. Uh, I would like to know how he was an apprentice at Joseph's carpenter shop and what he was like as a young apprentice and how he interacted uh, with the customers and the clients that came into the business. Uh, I would like to know all of that and much, much more. But again, the Holy Spirit has hidden all of that from our human but curious eyes. So right here, at the age of 12, in the temple, we have the first recorded words of Jesus. The very first recorded words of Jesus, Why did you seek me? 
Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Think of all of the words that Jesus spoke from infancy to 30 years old. And yet the Holy Spirit ignores all of those and he focuses our thoughts in this one sentence. Why would he do that? Obviously, it's of great importance. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. Nothing is said by accident and recorded by accident. There's purpose in it. All Jewish meals <clears throat> were required to go up to Jerusalem three times a year uh, for the, the great feasts. Feast of Passover, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. Now, because this was during the time of the Roman Empire, uh, many Jews would be scattered throughout the empire, so that wasn't always practical and possible for all of them to do that. <coughs> but those who lived within the land, even some who lived quite a distance in the land, would try their level best to obey this command of the Lord in the law of Moses, that they would come up to Jerusalem at the feast time. And the women were not required to do this. This was not a requirement of the law for the woman. But those who would be devout, uh, and, and usually only those who were devout, they also went up to the feast and took the children uh, with them. The only requirement was the male Jews, but the devout ladies would have went also. And so Mary, being devout, and Joseph, her husband, would take the children on this long, arduous, 80-mile, three, four-day journey all the way from Nazareth, Nazareth all the way down uh, to Jerusalem. And whenever they would get there, it wouldn't just be the, the day of Passover because Seven days after that, immediately after that, would be the days of unleavened, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So collectively it was called the Feast of Passover, but actually there was two feasts there, and it was rolled into one eight days. And so you can imagine three or four days to get there, eight days there, three or four days back. So this has taken a good, at least a two-week chunk out of their daily routine to have to do this to go uh, to this feast. So they were truly, really devout to do this. And of course, whenever they would go, they would travel in the company of others. Uh, there would be friends, there would be relatives, there would be acquaintances, there would be neighbors. Uh, and the bigger the group, the safer it was because there would be bandits uh, along those uh, pathways that would be looking to rob and to steal. So, uh, and it would be company for one another as well on the long, difficult journey. And so you can imagine, uh, particularly for the children, this would be a, an exciting time uh, to get away, and, and even for the adults, to get away from the daily routine of life uh, for two weeks and to go on this journey. Uh, and when they would get to Jerusalem, it would be at bursting point. There would be hundreds of thousands of people from all over the land uh, for the feast. Uh, all those little narrow streets in Jerusalem would be crowded. There would be hustle, bustle. There would be market traders. There would be Roman soldiers who would be walking through trying to keep an eye out to make sure nothing would happen that shouldn't happen. And so this would be exciting. And not only just to keep the feast, which would be great, but also to, to see the temple. Now, I remember they're coming from a very small town, Nazareth, to come to the great city of Jerusalem, the holy city, and to see Herod's temple, which was magnificent, the greatest building in the whole land. And so 
All of those things you can imagine would engender excitement, anticipation, and all the rest of it. And uh, so they would come together to do this. And it says in verse 43, and when they had finished the days. Now that lets us know that, that Mary and Joseph uh, were very devout. They didn't cut short, short uh, this time in Jerusalem. They finished the days, the whole eight days. They stayed there right from beginning to end. And so they would be very, very devout. And so with that as the background, uh, let's begin to read into this and see what is the Holy Spirit trying to tell us uh, in these scriptures, seeing this is the first recorded words of Jesus. His parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Now, there's nothing unusual in that, actually, because as far as the travel arrangements would be concerned, if there was men and women and children, again, for protection, the woman and the children would go a little bit ahead of the men, so the men wouldn't have to be looking over their shoulders. They could be looking straight ahead, and they would see them at all times, and so that was good for safety and for protection. And so two assumptions were made here. Uh, whenever they got to the end of the first day's journey, they would stop to eat and to sleep and to rest. And then they would come together, and lo and behold, they discovered that Jesus was missing. And naturally, Joseph would think, well, I, I thought, Mary, he was with you. And she would naturally think, well, no, he wasn't with us, so I just assumed that he'd gone to be with you and the men. And so you can see how easily this could happen. Now, at that moment, then, uh, you, can, you know, they'd be apprehensive. They really would feel an apprehension. Well, if he's not with you and he's not with me, well, maybe he's with some of her relatives because there'd be a big crowd there and maybe he's been with some of his cousins. So, so let's go and look among our friends and relatives. And they did all of that and body was not there. And so it's gone now from feeling apprehensive to, to panic because now it's nighttime. And it's a long way back to Jerusalem. It's a day's journey back. And he's not there. So where is he? Has he got hurt? Did he wander off down the trail? Is he on his own? Is he in the dark somewhere? Is he looking for us and can't find us? Is he panicking? So you can imagine, and only a parent that has lost a child, maybe in a supermarket or on a beach or in a crowd at a big fair, only a parent who has lost a child would know what that panic is like. My child, I can't find him. Where are they? And so there's nothing else they could do other than to try to retrace their steps. And so the next day they go all the way back uh, to Jerusalem to try to find uh, Jesus. And so, verse 45, So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was that after three days, so that's the journey out, they discovered he's missing, the journey back, and then the whole day looking for him. I mean, where do you start to look in a big city? Where would a 12-year-old boy be? Hmm? Where would he go? Because by this time the feast is over, probably all those traders with their stalls is packed up and gone. I mean, where would he be? 
Who would he be with? What in the world could have happened to him? And so they looked the whole city all day. And in the end, they decided, well, there's only one place we haven't looked, and that's the temple. That's the last place they thought he would be. Actually, that should have been the first place they thought he should be if they truly knew his, their son. But they didn't. They were thinking, he's just a 12-year-old boy. And at the end, they thought, well, we might as well just go and look in the temple. Who knows? And so that's where they went. And so they did not, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. That was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Question, of which I have no answer. If Jesus was in the temple for three days, which this implies he was, where did he go for those three nights? Did he sleep in the temple precincts? He's a 12-year-old boy. That would be a safe place. Or we know that later on in his life, through his ministry, there was one place he loved to go, particularly to prayer, and that was that olive grove, which we know as Gethsemane. But then it would be dark, and he'd be on his own. We don't know. But what we do know, he was safe. And what we do know, he didn't seem to care. He didn't seem to be worried or anxious at all. They were, but he wasn't. And so he spends those three days in the temple among these great learned rabbis. I'm reminded of the, uh, the little poem in Dick Whittington, Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London seeing the Queen. Pussycat, Pussycat, what did you there? I frightened a little mouse under the chair. Imagine all the way to see the queen and got distracted by such a little thing. And Jesus went all the way to Jerusalem and he was not going to be distract, distracted by the little things. The main thing for him was getting into the temple and talking about the word of God with these learned, lettered men. And they were amazed. They were astonished at his understanding of a 12-year-old boy. I wonder what kind of questions he was asking. Probably about the law for a start, because when a Jewish boy reaches 13, he has his bar mitzvah, as it's called today, and that means you become a son of the law, a son of the commandment. And so you are treated then as an adult. But in your bar mitzvah, you would need to know the law, and you need to be able to recite some of the law as much as you could. You need to have some understanding, so you need to know and be trained a little bit. So, so perhaps knowing that was coming up, perhaps he, he wanted to know more of the law, uh, but this interest in the law didn't just start right there. He always had that right from his mother's knee he would be taught the scriptures and be taught to recite the scriptures. So here he is, 
among these learned men. I wonder, was he asking about prophetic scriptures, particularly about Messiah? I wonder, was he asking about Isaiah 53? What does that really mean? Who is that talking about? Uh, You can be sure he must have been asking very penetrating questions, deep, profound questions, that these were the top rabbis of their day, and they would love to meet and to talk and to question, ask each other, get their heads together over things of the law and the scriptures. And here's this little 12-year-old boy sitting in the midst of them, astonishing them by his understanding of the scriptures. Now you say, well, he was the Son of God. He was the Word of God made flesh. He was the Word in human form. But wait a minute. He had to learn. He had to learn. This just didn't come automatically to him. He had to study. He had to, he listened to them and asked them questions. But he had an amazing grasp and understanding. Theologians for centuries has been debating when did Christ as a human being, when did Jesus actually as a human being understand who he truly was as a human being, as the Son of God? When did that understanding that he was more than just a boy or a man, that he was literally the Son of God, when did that happen? And the answer is we don't know. Not when he was a baby, not when he was an infant, but somewhere along the line. And maybe we're seeing here the sign of it here, that he really knew who he really was. We'll talk more about that just in a moment. What he wants to know. He is the Word, but he's got to learn the Word. He's got to study the Word. He's got to ask about the Word, and he does. And they were amazed. I can imagine those rabbis sitting there for three days. And I'm sure they were saying among themselves, wow, look at this, a 12-year-old boy. Boy, when he grows up, if he goes into the rabbinical schools, I mean, he's going to be the top rabbi in the country. Little did they know he was going to be the best rabbi that ever walked the face of the earth. But they were astonished at his ability to know the Scriptures. That says a lot about Mary and Joseph, by the way. I'm sure they read the Psalms to him. They read the prophets to him. They read the Torah to him. I'm sure they sung the Psalms to him. I'm sure growing up, his whole mind and heart was filled with scriptures, and he loved that. He absolutely loved that. And when he got to Jerusalem, there was only one thing he wanted to do, and that's why he lingered behind. He wanted to know more and more and more. He was so hungry for the Word. And here he is. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, Mary and Joseph. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I sought you anxiously. Now, I suppose you can kind of feel for Mary and Joseph. They've just gone through through three days of hell on earth. Their precious eldest boy was missing. 
how would you feel? How would I feel? That was our child. So you can understand where they're coming from in this. How they felt. Apart from being anxious and fearful and worried sick to death, maybe a little, well, maybe not a little, but upset. Son, why have you done this to us? This was so unlike Jesus. He had never done anything like this before. He was never disobedient or rude or uncaring or thoughtless. But if you just looked at this on the face of it, you would think, a bit thoughtless there with his mom and with his human dad. He's a bit thoughtless there. But actually... Jesus was laying down a marker here. Knowing now who he truly was and what his mission was going to be, he was laying a marker down here that for Mary and Joseph, for the rest of their natural lives, they would know for sure he was very different. And he was letting them know this. This is one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit is putting this in for us to read, and there's more. Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your Father and I have sought you anxiously. We were really, really scared, sick to our stomachs. And he said to them, why did you seek me? That seemed an odd thing to say. Why did you seek me? <laughs> if, if I could... I don't want to put words into the mouth of the Lord that's not there, but if you can use your imagination a little bit. Why did you seek me? Do you not understand who I am? Didn't the angel tell you at my birth? Didn't the shepherds come? Didn't the wise men come when I was an infant with their gifts? Do you not remember who I am? Hmm? Why did you seek me? Listen to what he says. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Ah. See, here's the marker being laid down. Now, here's the really, really interesting thing about that statement. Every Israelite knew that God was the father of all humanity creatively. He was a creator. Every Israelite knew that God was the father of their nation, the father of Israel. I would say that. But no Israelite ever would ever even dare to say that God is my father personally. This is the first time that it happened. Are you listening to me? The first time that it happened, Jesus is laying a marker down here. I must be about my father's business. As much as he loved and respected Joseph, as much as he loved his dear mother Mary, as much as he was under their parental guidance and care, but there was one higher, his father in heaven. 
don't you know that I must be about my father's business? And you see, for him to call God Father in that personal way, the ramifications of that is bigger and greater than we can imagine right now. Because right now, since Christ came and we're saved, we are the sons and we're the daughters of God in a spiritual sense. But he wasn't taught in a spiritual sense. He was saying, God is literally my Father. And this is why it was so difficult for them to even begin to understand because this had never happened before. And even though they knew and were told that 12 years ago, but 12 years has passed, they had him humanly in there, in that working shop, the carpenter shop, and in the home, and in the street, and in play, and in school, whatever. And somehow that gets blurred. But the time has come to make a marker. There'll be other markers we've made later on. Remember the Feast of Cana when she came to Jesus and Jesus' woman? What has this got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Hmm? Remember on the cross when Jesus standing looking down there was Mary and John his disciple and he looked at his mother and says, Woman, behold your son. And then he looked at John and says, Behold your mother. You see, Mary, even though was his mother, but he would be her savior, not just her son. And now he's laying down the marker. Now he's making sure that lines is not going to be crossed. Why did you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? So this is a profound statement he's making. So no surprise, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. They weren't fully grasping what he was really, really saying. He's just a 12-year-old boy to come out with a statement like this is massive. Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? You see, when he started to use this term father, it was a term that he loved to use. You know, if, if you read in, in, in John 13, uh, Jesus is uh, in that upper room, he's washed the disciples' feet, and he knows that he's just hours left with his disciples before the Garden of Gethsemane and the rest and the trial and the crucifixion. So there's only hours literally left with them and in chapter 14, 15, and 16, and 17, you ought to read that. It's wonderful that precious, intimate time he had with those disciples before he went to the cross. What he said to them, these were just wanting to get his instructions into them and his knowledge into them and wanting them to understand. And he just pours his heart out to them in that place at that time. And if you read those four chapters, and I have read them and I've marked them, in those four chapters, he speaks of his father 48 times. My father, gracious father, holy father, 48 times.
times. And it all started here when he was 12 years old. And he says, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? And of course, as he would go on from there, he would know much more about his father's business. And at the age of 30, he would enter into doing his father's business. And the last words on the cross, it is finished. He completed the father's business that he came to do. But it all started here with this one statement. No wonder the Holy Spirit records this for us when he was 12 years old. I must be about my father's business. That's another favorite word of his. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day for the night comes when no one can work. I must needs go through Samaria. There's an appointment with a Samaritan woman at a well that I must meet with that woman. I must. 30 times during his ministry in the Gospels, he says those words, I must. Do you, do I, do we have a must in our lives? We have lots of maybes, should-haves, could-haves, would-haves, but do we have a must? A must-do, a must-have, a must-be. I trust that there's a must in your life. There's lots of people, the church is not a must in their life. If it's convenient, if it's handy, if they feel like it, if they're in the mood, maybe, perhaps, but it's not a must. Word of God, is it a must in your life? I must read this. I must get to know this. At 12 years of age, Jesus had that must in his life. I must know God's word. So what is your must today? Good question to ask yourselves, isn't it? What is my must? What must I do? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Even though it would seem like he knew who he was, he was beginning to understand what he would have to do. But for the next 18 years, he subjected himself to that parental care and authority. Even though there was a higher authority, but he had to wait. Jesus, the Messiah, had a mission, had a message, but there was a moment he had to wait for. And it wasn't yet. He'd have to wait another 18 years from this moment. <coughs> 
And in that 18 years, whether Joseph died when he was a teenager, whether he died when he was in his 20s, but at some point Joseph died, and Jesus would have to assume the head of the home. And being the eldest, he would do that. Take care of his mother, take care of the siblings, work hard in the family business until he was 30. And he came 30. And he had to subject himself to that higher authority. And he'd have to leave and go on and do the work that the Father had called him to this earth to do. You know, whenever Mary and Joseph stood in the temple when Jesus was just eight days old and he had to get circumcised and they had to do the dedication, remember Simeon said to Mary, a sword shall pierce your own heart also. Here's the beginning of the person when he's just 12. That was a hard time for her. But there'd be even harder times when her son was ridiculed and despised, when his own brothers and sisters wouldn't even believe in him. The sword was in her heart. And of course, the worst time when he was on the cross her heart was really pierced at that moment. But Jesus had a calling. He had a mission. He had a message. And his moment would come. He entered into that great mission and ministry that the Father had given him. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. He increased in wisdom and in stature. He'd have to grow physically every moment since he was a baby, inch by inch by inch, day by day, week by week, year by year, grow, grow, grow. I'm glad that there's no idols or monuments or pictures or anything of what Jesus looked like because we would end up worshiping stone but he must have been a fine specimen because he had no sin. <laughs> but he had to grow naturally like any other human being. But he'd have to grow in wisdom. Where did he get his wisdom from? The Word of God. He loved the Word of God. He increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God. Well, God always favored him, but favor in the sense that God blessed him and empowered him and enabled him to do what he had to do. And favor with God and men. Growing up, he must have been the model boy. He must have been. Certainly those rabbis were amazed and astonished at his understanding. What a joy it must have been to have him in the home. And when he assumed responsibility for the household, all of that wisdom would kick in. He'd know exactly what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. But here it is in Luke chapter 2. This is where it starts. 
Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? Are we about our father's business today? I know that we're sons, we're daughters, but we're not the son. He's uniquely that, always will be. But as sons and as daughters spiritually, are we about our father's business? Is that the main thing in our lives? Or is it something we fit in? Something that we do if there's time left? Or each day, are we doing the father's business to the best of our ability, whatever that may be? I'm not talking about standing behind a platform like I am relatively few will get to do that but you can be where I can't be and you can be about your father's business on the workshop on the factory floor in the office in the school in the lecture hall you can be about your father's business wherever you are placed and I trust and I believe and I hope that you are because that's what he wants us to be and to do about our father's business and then we'll increase in favor with God and with man, amen Thank you for listening to this podcast you can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.